0: Hello, and welcome to the Hosting Masterclass podcast. I am your host, Sarah Andrews. I am a scientist and a stylist and a designer, and also a teacher. And in this series, we lift the veil on what it's like to be a part of our class and our community, where I interview people that I've taught and also people who have taught me, often one and the same. So, if you are still listening and you've been listening from episode one, thank you so much for hanging in there. The audio is getting better. I'm getting better at my job. So, let's dive into this amazing episode, which I'm so excited about. Our guest today is Jono Fleming, who needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. Jono is an incredible commercial interior designer, I would say. He has had such a varied career, but the highlight for me was a long time as a style editor of Inside Out magazine. He now works for himself. You'll see him everywhere, but he has an incredible podcast himself with Carrie ann Jones, who you probably also know, called House of Style, which I have an episode on, which I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of, as they really take a look at prominent Australian design figures from all areas of design. So give that one a listen to. This is a wonderful episode for anyone out there that is interested in having a career in interior design, or maybe has a friend, a child or a niece or nephew who has shown an interest in it. Jono gives a look at what his career has been like from studying all the pitfalls to retraining. Just a wonderful listen. If this is something that you'd like to pursue. Okay, let's dive in. I hope you love this episode as much as I loved recording it. I really want to share your story with everybody because I'm so inspired by you and I've been obsessed with you for so long. And then when you asked me to come on your podcast, I was a bit starstruck. I was like, really (laughs) me?
1: That is wild for me to hear, but really, really flattering. Thank you. Yes,
0: because I don't pick up magazines often but whenever I do I see your name everywhere and your work everywhere and it's always so beautiful and so progressive and so honest and touches me and I know everyone feels the same now I have to interrupt you here a little bit and set the scene we are sitting in Jono's really beautiful home office in his gorgeous apartment he shares with his partner in Sydney He has just picked me up from the airport. I'd flown in from Hobart and I was leaving to fly to Rome that night. So I had all my big bags with me. I was already quite dishevelled only an hour into a 30-something hour flight. But I found it pretty hard to concentrate because his apartment is just so beautiful. And all the little bits and things in his study were just gorgeous. He is a beautiful man. The whole setting was just... Just so wonderful. I wish I had video recorded this episode for you guys. Anyway, hopefully I've set the scene there. Let's jump back in. But I'd love to briefly hear how you got to this point. because Yeah. Yeah, you are everywhere. <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess I've sort of put a little place for myself in the industry as a bit of a jack of all trades. And I won't say master of none because I think I'm, without trying to sound too conceited, like... I I know where my strengths are. But it's taken a long time to get here. Like, I finished school in 2005 and I went to England for a year. And whatever happened in that year that I was on my gap year in England, I was like, I knew it was always going to be design. I didn't know what. I applied to go into art college because I was like, I'm just to do general art course and figure it out what type of design I want to be in and then something clicked over in England and I was like I'm an interior designer and that was it that's all I knew and so I went came back to Australia studied an interior design degree did that did pretty well because I just knew it was my passion so I studied hard all of that you know was working in the industry got an internship here and did work experience there and I was like this is it I'm just gonna be an interior designer for the rest of my life I went and worked in the industry and my boss went away for two months and left me in charge of the entire interior design business by myself and at that time I'd just fallen in love with someone and then in that same period broken up with that person oh, no. it was all very dramatic especially at 25 yeah. and then the second week I got fired oh, and I was like your classic overachiever. I've been offered work, I've always excelled at things, and then all of a sudden I got fired for something that was my mistake in the end. Five minutes after I got fired, I rear-ended a car and I'm like, well, I've been dumped, I've been fired, and I've just hit the back of a car. And then, of course, in my youthful naivete, I was like, well, I'm 25 and everything is over and this is... This is the end of the world for me because I have nothing to do now. I've lost my job. And it was right as people were coming out of the like recession. Mm-hmm. And so my friend Jess Bella, who I'd previously taught with at uni, was like, okay, I'm working for this company. It's called Temple and Webster. Why don't you come and like come in one day a week and do an internship mm-hmm. and do some styling? And I was like, styling is not... Serious work Styling is throwing cushions And I'm very very serious dedicated interior designer Who does CAD plans Who submits them to council Who goes on site and talks with engineers This is not the frou free stuff Like I am very very serious And then I also had nothing else to do I watched the entire like series of Sopranos in a week And I was like maybe I should take Jess up on her offer And stop being such an idiot and so big headed because you have no work at the moment so i went and did a one day a week internship with jess at temple and webster and was thrown in the deep end and i was like oh there's like set building you have to try and create a fantasy in a still image and make people believe that it's a house or a kitchen but you're also selling the product and it was really commercial. And I'd never been in that environment. And so I had to get over my own ego really quickly. And by really quickly, I mean like maybe over a year. It took me to just pull everything in and check all the privilege and all the opportunity that I'd had and go, you're starting from scratch. I needed a big slap in the face from a career perspective to go, Everything you know, you don't, actually. Like, you don't know everything. But at 25, of course, we think we know everything.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's (laughs) that. When you're in your early 20s, you have this career path that you see, like a runway. Mm -hmm. And it's all these steps upwards. And then when that doesn't happen devastating because yeah. you feel like your life is over yes you're like i'm not going to be what i want it to be i'm not going to be anything yeah. yeah i i can relate
1: <laughs> and it's hard when you're in design and for your parents sometimes there's not a tangible product for them to see what you're doing or for your friends who work in engineering or accounting to understand that like what you actually do to really explain to people sometimes who are not, who are on the outside. It's like you're constantly feeling sometimes like you're justifying your job. I like, I'm not just making people's houses pretty. I'm designing their kitchen that they're going to live in for the rest of their life. Like this is, you know, we're not saving lives. We are in a very lovely industry where we get to make things beautiful, but I'm like, we're not saving lives, but we are, making people live in a better way. That's our goal and our job is to make people have beautiful homes and live beautifully and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, we're not doing surgery, but we are doing something that will impact them every single day. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, you can dumb it down and say, you're not doing life-saving work, but I'm like, we're doing life-changing work sometimes if you're doing it right. Yeah.
0: I mean, the world outside there, we can't control. We can control and create these mini worlds in our houses or our bedrooms or our caravan out the back. Yes. And that's amazing because, you know, shelter is one of our basic needs.
1: And it doesn't matter how big or small your place is. If you can make that feel like your home and that you're happy when you walk in there, then amazing. And I try and never yuck anyone's yum. Like everyone has their own style, but I'd like to also try and like show people like, this is your style and here's how you can elevate that just a little bit. And in a way that you never even knew you like things.
0: I just love that. Never yuck anyone's yum. Oh, just the best saying that will always stick with me. I remember when I was much younger, I was on this sort of bougie wine tasting tour in a wine region in France. And I won't do the accent, I'll spare you, but the tour guide, he sat us down basically at the start of the day to explain where we were going, um, how to taste the wines, you know, the decorum in each of these places. The last thing he said, and I'll never forget, is if you don't like a wine, please don't say, I don't like this. If you must say something, you need to say, I don't think this is to my palate. I... Remember that as I moved through the world, and I don't think you should ever yuck anyone's yum. Everything is beautiful, it just might not be to your palate. So let's jump in and see what happened next for Jono.
1: So there I was styling for e commerce, and I was there for about three and a half years and learnt so much about it's also not styling for myself anymore. It's like there were different clients that we had to hit, different ranges of you know target audiences, are they young, are they old, what style is it? So I became really versatile in developing my own styling sort of, you know, technique, but being versatile in who I'm styling for and it was never for myself because that's not what I'm paid to do. It's always been about interiors for me. And I was very, very lucky because around that time, my family, we have a farm, which has been in our family for like since 1969. And it's this beautiful pine plantation out past the mountains. (laughs) And we've had like a series of shacks and cottages that we sort of lived in and grew up in. And then the timing was right that my dad could build his dream house. And the luckiest thing that's ever happened to me is that he trusted me to design that house. And it was just a project that, hey, they put in so much care and love to get me to where I was. It was almost like them going, okay, we've helped you with your education. We've done all this stuff. Now it's your time to give it back to us and show what you can do. And I built the farmhouse for them. And that was a huge turning point for me because that landed me a job at Inside Out magazine. It was my first cover of a magazine, which was the my home on the cover of a magazine. And then I got offered the job of style editor at Inside Out. And that's a yes, like it, this. It is Australia. a. It, it's. I mean, it's even. It's really, really less now. Yes. But there were about ten style editor positions in the country. And there have been some incredible people that Mm -hmm. came before me in that exact role at Inside Out. It's a, I mean, the magazine was started by Karen McCartney. It doesn't get more design god in Australia than that. So there was a lot of, not pressure, but there was a lot of gravity to that situation that I was like, okay, I'm, because I'd been thinking before I'm 30, I want to live in New York. That's all I wanted to do. And... 30 came whooshing right by and I still wasn't in New York and I was at a point where I'm like, I really wanna make it happen this year, and then I got offered this job and I was like, I think I have to take the job. Yeah. And it's it is that sliding doors moment <laughs> that what happened if I went to New York then? But also I'm really happy how it's this timeline's going as well. So I was at Mags for about two years, and it was a whole new world because there was a commercial sense that I'd learned at Temple and Webster, styling for, you know, mass market, maybe not the best quality furniture. All of a sudden, I now had access to beautiful brands to shoot. I could pick furniture from any shop at any price range. But my goal at the mag when I was styling there was to really understand the customer still. And it was about who is buying this mag, who's picking it up, It's all nice and good that I have access to a $10,000 chair, but is anyone buying this magazine actually going to buy that chair? So I wanted to make sure that it was elevated, but still really achievable. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was always trying to bring to my styling when I was doing sets and shoots and house shoots. And I learned a lot in the magazine world and also about advertising and how to bring in advertisers and, getting that sort of commercial aspect happening. And then the mag industry in Australia, in the two years that I was at magazines, just imploded in like a really spectacular way in a very short amount of time. Literally
0: in a few months. It was yeah. Yeah. In, a,
1: in the matter of six months, everything I had known about, I was there for one really amazing year.
0: I remember when this happened. Gosh, I'm bad at time, but it maybe was three or four years ago and sort of seeing things from both sides of the fence. Talking to my friends in magazines who were losing their jobs, there was no budget for things anymore. But then on the other side, the reason why the end of magazines, I mean they're still around, but their heyday definitely is over for now, is because the power of media really shifted into our own hands. I remember at the same time my Instagram account for Captain's Rest was really becoming quite huge in my own terms, in my own world. And a post I would put up would, you know, get more likes and more comments than all the big interior design magazines in Australia. And it's not that the content was any more important or, you know, interesting to people, but the way that, I guess, people consumed media... Really changed in that year that social media really took over. So, anyway, back to Jono, we sympathize with him, but sometimes those painful endings lead to, you know, beautiful beginnings.
1: And then the next six months, everything changed. We got sold to another company that ended up owning every, pretty nearly every single house magazine on the market. And then People got made redundant and it was just, you know, things were changing so quickly and not in a positive way. And I started to get really jaded and I was starting to like zone out a bit. I wasn't happy anymore. I had my dream job, the job that, as you said, there's like 10 of these positions that people cover. And now there's only
0: like two. (laughs) And you still have it.
1: It went from 10 to about four of us. And now I think there's about two.
0: It's insane.
1: It's... And and so I was like, okay, I'm the lucky one that got to stay. I've got to take every opportunity. And I think the industry was changing so much that I don't think they... I'm speaking very boldly. I don't know if they knew exactly where everything was heading. And it's... Even now, a few years on, it's still really different mm-hmm. to when I left. So I ended up leaving after two years and I think that may be the best decision that's ever happened because it was at a point where I knew I'd been through enough at that point, getting fired, leaving a job I loved, all of those sort of things. I knew at that point, if I'm not happy anymore, it's time to go and find that happiness somewhere else, make it happen because I'd I'd had those ups and downs and At that point, I also knew now, if you leave a job, if you leave something big in your career, that doesn't mean your career is over anymore.
0: I mean, we have all these other mediums to tell stories and to teach and to celebrate and to explore, but they're just refusing to use them. Yeah, And they've got a print magazine and an Instagram account, which is some pictures from the print Uh, magazine, and it's just not really that exciting anymore.
1: No, and... As a brand, why aren't they telling their story as in as many different ways as they can? It'll only strengthen the brand. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see what that magazine looks like as a video series. I want to hear the designers that they feature on the cover as a podcast. Yeah, Like, it's a no-brainer for me.
0: You know, I guess <laughs> what I find so interesting about you, I mean, lots of things. I remember when Jess Spelliff came and shot me for her book yeah she was speaking about you and I had seen your work and I was like yeah yeah I know who you're talking about yeah like I can't remember where I'd come across you but you know it's such a small world but really like the last couple of years you're everywhere <laughs> like across podcasts YouTube magazines books. Yeah. like I you just have so much to offer the rest of us about how the commercial world works because mm-hmm. I come from the other side of things where yes. nobody has helped me I've never been seen anywhere and I, I've had to yeah do everything from the other angle yes yeah. to get to a magazine
1: yes it's just that weird thing where I'm like I just fell into magazines and I'm like I guess I kind of did but I also like it was because it all comes back to that like commercial styling for e-commerce I was like yeah. I am it's, it was this sort of selfless like selflessness of not styling for yourself anymore. It was about styling for other people. It was never about me, but it gave me the platform, like I was saying, to style for style for you at home, but this is the way I'm gonna style your home.
0: I mean, you deserve to be there. Mm. You know, like I don't buy magazines much anymore but more because I'm time poor Yeah, and I want to sort of desaturate rather than saturate my time off. I don't want to look at more homes. I just want to look at nothing actually because for a job, I look at houses. Yes. (laughs) But you know, your work has always been so memorable to me and three others. And there's many more people who work in magazines. So, you know, like you've left an impact on so many people through your journey, short journey in that world. Yeah, thank you. Hi everyone, sorry to interrupt. Just a little public service announcement. The busier I get, the less I can teach. So this coming year we only have one face-to-face masterclass and three Zoom schools. And already two have sold out. So we encourage you all, if you'd love to study with us, then visit our website and book your ticket early. All right. So (laughs) I'm a teacher. Yes. But I feel really lucky to be taught by so many other people. Yeah. And you're one of those people. I would love you to teach me and everyone else something today because, like I said before, I come from this sub-genre that became really big and has entered the commercial world. You come from the other side. So I know I have so much to learn from you.
1: Yes. I think what I can teach and sort of in my advice sort of way is I've learned recently, let's say the last few years, it's boundaries for me are such a big thing. And it's both, you know, going past your comfort zones and saying yes to things is really hard sometimes because as social media has grown and changing and it's still changing I was like oh I don't want to be a sellout I don't want to be an influencer what a dirty word and it's still a really dirty word but I think with the privilege of working in an industry and having a profile in an industry then it is my job to be able to share things and to be completely honest, to make a living. You can say yes to things. I say yes to a lot of things now that I wouldn't have said yes to five years ago, as far as like commercial partnerships and things like that. Part of it was me going, I don't want to dilute my brand and all of this sort of thing. But I was like, at the end of the day, I also want to make money. I also want to put out the right messaging. So it's not about saying yes to everything, but it's also about being open working with the right people saying yes to those people that are that you can work with and it feels right for your brand those boundaries of figuring out where that line is has been really tricky and you know i think maybe i'm still learning about it but it's also just as powerful to say no to things like really big (laughs) and i know the power of no is not a revolutionary idea but it's something that i've learned to understand my worth in the industry as well
0: it's really interesting because so many of our students have had no experience in the industry yeah they go through the class and a big part of what we do is is teaching you know we go through this process where they focus on themselves and their property first before we get into styling yeah any before we anywhere near it and part of that process brings these really interesting, unique interiors out of, yeah. of these people and their, and their work with us through the course, which of course leads on to industry attention. So what happens is very quickly these beautiful women and men go from having no experience in the industry to yes. being contacted by everyone all over the world, as well as wanting people like Cotton On or Target, yeah. wanting to shoot with them, you know, product placement, They get completely bombarded and have no idea how to handle that attention, what to say yes to, what to say no to, how to even behave when you're contacted by these bigger, you know, companies or media outlets.
1: (laughs) Part of my saying no, maybe I'm giving way too much away right now, but I'm okay with that. I'm pretty, look, what you see is what you get with me. So I'll be an open book. I've learned also recently, if you don't... Maybe you're on that sort of 50-50. I don't know if I want to say yes to this or not. Charge a... Like, up your price. Up your worth. Say, instead of saying you want $1,000, say you want $5,000. Just throwing numbers out there, they mean nothing. But throw it up. Put the price up. If that brand really wants to work with you, they will say yes. And genuinely, it's like, okay... I wasn't sure about this job. Maybe it wasn't my heart fully wasn't in it. Maybe you're selling out a little bit, but like make it worth your time then. Make it worth your time and your effort. The other thing to remember is that so many images now are fleeting and temporary, unfortunately. It's just the world we live in. We don't live in a world where things are permanent and live on, they will live online forever. But there'll be another version of it and a more beautiful version the next time i don't know like you can you have to lose a little bit of attachment to things which is really hard i feel like this is the exact opposite of maybe what you teach about creating no, these personal stories and places that people want attachment to but for me i guess that's one of the things i've one of the things i've learned and that i can teach is that knowing your worth if you you know I think there's no shame in, A, needing to provide for yourself and your family and your life. So if that's one way you're going to do it, make sure it's worth it. Don't just say yes because a big company has reached out to you. Like, everyone's got budgets, I know, but if they really want to work with you for the place you have, for the space you've created, they're willing to pay for it and, Genuinely, the work and the time and effort you have put into building it, you deserve that. So know you're worth a bit as well, and be open to say yes. Sometimes, even if you're not fully comfortable.
0: <laughs> so in our class, we start in a really personal place. Yeah. Then we go to a creative place, and we end in a business place. Yeah. So we take people through that journey and it is really hard marrying personal with business but i think this is what we all do in some way because yeah. even though you, you're brilliant at styling for an for this intended audience yeah. it's still your ideas <clears throat> oh, totally, your creativity so i'll throw out three scenarios yeah what should someone absolutely say yes to for free what someone should charge a reasonable amount and what someone should charge through the nose. So what opportunity would be amazing for people listening and they should absolutely say yes.
1: A big thing is to be featured in Like despite how much we're on our phones, there's still some prestige and there's something beautiful about being in a magazine. And I've had cover homes on magazines that I've taken the photos with the photographer and we have given that story away for free. But I was like, I know that we have shot this in a way that it will be a cover And you can't buy a cover of a magazine. That's a big one. And also if someone's on the sort of like producty side of that as well for something to do for free, if you love, some genuinely use a product, love a product, and they're a small business maybe, they don't have a huge following, maybe you don't either. It doesn't matter. I say go for it and share with each other. There's, you know, I will constantly put things up on social media because I just love this candle. You know, candle companies like that have never approached me to spruik their product for them. I'm like, I just love it. It's my favorite. So I'm gonna say this is the one. There's a level of support and I don't think you need to do everything for a reward, you know? And you might go, I only have 400 followers. Okay, well, that's 400 people that may not have ever heard about this product before.
0: Okay, what should people charge for? If someone approaches them, what should they charge for? Types of companies, size of companies, what yeah. should they be like, no, this is gonna cost you a thousand, two thousand $2,000.
1: This is where the numbers game does start to play into it as in like how many followers you have or how big is your audience. That's a tricky one because everyone has different numbers. There's no industry standard on like, as an Instagram account, you need X amount of followers and that will be put you in this bracket. Some people charge crazy amounts. Some people have a blue tick and they have 10,000 followers. But, you know, it, it, it you can have a decent following and not have authentication from the officials, but that doesn't mean you don't have influence. Look, I think it's a sliding scale and I... Think if you've got a company that has multiple stores, they are a big commercial company that you'd see, let's say you'd see them in a Westfield. Mm -hmm. They have money then. They have enough money to pay you for sharing product from their bed range or something. So if you like a product, if you like the company and what it stands for, then definitely look into working with them. You can create really good, long lasting relationships with companies. And I think that's kind of also a goal. If you are saying yes to commercial deals and you're charging anywhere between $1,000 or $10,000, you want to create lasting relationships. You want it to be a company that they'll come back to you and go, we loved what you did for us and the way you showcased our product. So we want to come back to you and it's not going to be a weekly job. It might be every six months, but that's really good to have that relationship.
0: There are companies I love, yeah, and have never paid me or given me anything free, and yeah. I'll always talk about yes, and I adore them genuinely. And I know I love sharing them, yeah. And there are companies I've worked with that I, no matter how much they pay me, I'll never work with them again because I just yep. did not enjoy the experience. Hundred percent don't want to ever work you know like it's relationships really important
1: yeah And, and the thing to think about as well you're rarely going to be hearing from these stores from their people it'll be a PR person that is getting in touch with you as well at least in my experience I get a lot of deals through PR agencies and they're the proxy between you know the brand and yourself so Sometimes it's good to create those relationships with the PR brand. You could say, this isn't a right fit for me with this sort of thing, but look on their website, see who who else they represent and go, I might be better for this place who you represent. Like I'd be open to that. They've already approached you. So they want to use you for something, but yeah, you never know who else they represent or what might come up.
0: Okay, so say yes, absolutely, I'll do it for free for big magazines, yeah. big opportunities that you feel passionate about. Yeah. Charge a decent amount of money for people who have a store in Westfield. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and who should we just be charging fifteen thousand dollars? You can pay it or or walk.
1: I think you you kinda know the companies. You know the brands, you know the scale of brands that are doing this sort of thing. Smaller boutique brands. Are not going to be able to have those budgets or offer it to you. Again, I've said to people before, like, oh, yeah, you want me to do all of this content? That's $15,000. And they've just gone, oh, sorry, that's just out of our budget. And the reason I said that was because, A, was I that passionate about doing that job? Not really. I also knew they weren't going to be able to hit that number. And if they did, then great. But I was... I threw a crazy number out because I knew they weren't going to be able to match that. The other thing is I'd say always go high. They have a budget. They'll say it's $5,000. And you go back to them and you go, okay, well, that amount of work is going to be 15. And they'll go, okay, we can get you eight. Great. Like, you know, I always say just ask for it. The worst answer you're ever going to get from someone is no.
0: My students who... uh venues obviously and also businesses makers how should they act when they're approached by a magazine or a company wanting to do a shoot in their space what's the best way for them to make a good impression Mm -hmm. and be professional because obviously a lot of people listening to this will never had that opportunity before and they have no idea what would be your advice how they can be to sort of leave a good impression and obviously get their business back again yeah
1: I think if a magazine or a company approaches you, the best thing to do is understand the terms and usage of the imagery because that will really dictate, A, how much you charge, if you charge at all. That's really important because you don't want to be driving down the street and seeing your home on a billboard and they paid you $500 for the day. And yet they get a full ad campaign and it's national or something like that. Mm. So that's something that can happen. Be open though. Maybe you need new photos of your place and you don't have the $1,500, $3,000 to pay a photographer this month. So maybe it's a smaller brand and you could go, yeah. There's a deal to be done. There's a deal to be done. Win-win. I'll give you location. You give me photos and I get to share these and get all this content. It's really about, again, it's about the scale of who you're working with. If a magazine wants to do a shoot at your place, definitely understand that you will charge a location fee and you should. This is if they're wanting to go in and use it to style their other pieces and things like that.
0: Like an editorial. Like an
1: editorials shoot in your space. Charge a location fee, but also understand maybe it won't be as much as you can charge a commercial job Mm -hmm. editorial is as i've said before it's tight budget so you know be i think the key is a lot of it's go with your gut you'll know if people can share you know but like you know if people have the money or not it's it's kind of an instinctual thing and don't get me wrong you might get burnt one once or twice but once you do you'll (laughs) Learn that lesson and you won't do it again.
0: Last question. You've worked for magazines on location. You've worked for brands and gone. So you have so much (laughs) experience doing this. Tell us the best experience you've ever had with a location owner or a business owner and the worst. You don't have to name any names. No, okay. But I'd love your perspective on the best experience you've had and the absolute worst where you have PTSD about...
1: I don't know if it's the best, but it's a really positive one. I just shot last week for a really great candle company. I really love them. They've always been really generous with me and they've always sent me, they get a new product and they'll send me and be like, what do you think? There's never any obligation. They don't go, hey, we're going to send you this candle. Can you post it for us? I love- They're just like, we want to, we know who you are in the industry. and We want to just see. do you like this? And I recently styled a full campaign for them. I charged them, you know, a rate. I gave them a little bit of a deal because I'm, you know, they've been really good to me. So I'm going to give them a mates rates deal. But we also shot a lot of work for them. It was a really easy shoot. As a client, they were just a dream to work with. So Black Blaze was just an incredible one. I've had a situation where... I styled for a fashion label was getting featured in Vogue as but for like their interiors, like for their office space.
0: Okay, Australian fashion...
1: And they gave me the brief. They sent me photos of their space and my photographer and I just went in and we got beautiful floral arrangement and put it in there and they the girl that was running the like sort of being our point person on the shoot from the brand. So I'd style the space, like the entry, the foyer and she'd walk up to it and we're like, Oh, what do you think of these shots? We just took like five shots and she would just look at the phone and she'd go, there's just something I hate about this. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Like, can we pinpoint what it is? Cause like, Hey, it's such a strong word. And it was that, For an entire day and they had sent me the brief they would sent me the inspo images and they were like you've made it look very boho and i just feel like as a brand we're not boho we're far more elevated and like european those photos never ran i know never to work with that company again and it was i think the scarring thing of it was just having someone walk up to your work and go there's something about it I hate. And I'm like...
0: That's <laughs> a very that's, that's
1: really strong. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am hating a few things right now, but I'm not going to say them.
0: <laughs> so, my last question was three things that have got you to this point in life.
1: Okay. I think one is what I have previously talked about. So, I'm doubling up a bit, but it is knowing when to say yes and when to say no and being open to opportunity. The other one that I really love is like having a bit of a thirst for knowledge and being inspired from whatever it is, whether it is magazines, whether it's books. My big thing, I love cinema and TV and all of that. I think if I wasn't an interior designer I'd probably be a set designer or in production in a movie or something like that I love finding my inspo from all different types of cinema there's so much range and depth in set design and following auteurs and seeing the way they interpret the world you know like watching a movie like it's from everything
0: so inspired one one last thing that got you here to this point
1: learning to take critique yes really really hard our spaces are our homes our personal identities we're putting so much of ourselves into a physical object that's tangible and people can see it and everyone has an opinion but i you have to understand that a your style is not everyone's style and people just won't like it and that's okay. And also on a professional sense, you, you're you not the person that has the final say all the time. There will be an art director, a creative director, an editor, the photographer, everyone has an opinion. And every single project you work on, even if you do it alone, you will always be collaborating with someone else. So really be open to critique and opinions and learn not to take them personally, which is, so tricky when we're in such a personal space but I think I've learned to really early on from styling commercially at an e-commerce brand and you get everything in the right spot you finally get the photo and then the art director comes over and goes you need to move the light because that's where I'm putting text and I don't think that plant looks good in that corner and you have to just go okay great I'm moving the light and taking the plant out and, you know, they're not always right, but they are looking at it a different way that you are. And that's what taught me to, I think that's building that thick skin is just, it's one of the hardest things to do as a creative, but you just have to, if you want to work successfully and be, you have to be open to that.
0: Yeah. That's really good advice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So two things that inspire you. Okay. Or resources?
1: Things that inspire me. I think I've talked a lot about my film Love and all the different films. But another thing that really inspires me, and you can see it from my shelves, is like the handmade quality of things. And I love how lucky we are in Australia to have such incredible artists that make handmade pieces. You can buy your stock standard vases and decor from big stores and that's great but nothing will make your home feel more personal in buying a piece of art whether it be a vase a little bud vase a you know you know just a sculpture a jug a mug that's made by an incredible artisan and we have endless amounts Mm. of them in australia like i'm like People I love, like Clay Canoe, they do incredible, like they do monthly drops of their work. Oh Hey Grace, she does these beautiful sort of architectural with little stairs and things like that. Rubble is Rubble Workshop. They've just, they're a pretty new brand. They do incredible like candelabras. In these great, sort of flintstony prehistoric shapes. Neighborhood Studios is another one I love. Lucas is an artist in Melbourne and he does a lot of hand carved stone pieces and incredible lamps that are like, get in now before he yeah. gets too big so you can own one of his pieces. Lamps and vases and sculptures. Like, they're just some brands, but I just, I love that I've been able to have the knowledge and meet these people and then also be able to share. And own these pieces, you know, save up and buy yourself a beautiful vase that's handmade. That's There's nothing more special.
0: Mm-hmm. One beautiful vase instead of 20 vases from Kmart.
1: Exactly. Like, yes. actually that.
0: Yeah. And one routine that helps you.
1: We've talked about it so much. Well, We've sort of touched on it. But I have a really big thing with scent. Mm. And I have different candles in different rooms of my home or different ways to scent a room that help me focus. So if I light my candle that's in my study, I know that scent is going to be my scent for work. And then when I open the doors to my living room, I have another candle burning that's a separate thing that's going to change my mood, you know? Maybe I need to light incense to in, you know, it's a cliche but Lighting the incense will get me in that calmer, more meditative space. I think maybe it's just the nature of what we associate incense with. But for me, changing the scents in your home or just having a scent in your home is so important to just, yeah, it can really take you to a certain place that you need to get to. You know, I've talked about Black Blaze, Maison Balzac. I love. love my neighbors, from down the road from my farm and by neighbours I mean they're like a 35 minute drive so that's country neighbours yep. Southern Wild Co., they them. are they have some of the most incredible candles and they're all poured by them in their shed in the country like
0: They're such an example of people who have always been so kind to me and so lovely. And I'll always recommend them. They don't need to pay me or send me things. They're just so lovely.
1: I was doing a shoot for Country Style and I asked to borrow one candle from them to feature in the shoot to return, you know. And I was like, look, I'm actually at the farm. So instead of sending it to Sydney, can you just drop it off at the farm and we're doing the shoot there anyway? And... She was just so generous and they came and dropped off one of every candle for me Mm. and said, you can keep these. And there was no deal signed saying, oh, and can you post about it? Can you give us two feed posts and three stories and a reel? It was nothing. It was just like, enjoy these candles. And I love them. Like, they're good candles. If they weren't nice, I would have said thank you and you would never have heard about it again. Yeah. And there's... That, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that either, but great candles, lovely humans.
0: Thank you. I think you're amazing. <laughs> wow. What a rare, beautiful and interesting look behind the scenes at the life and work of one of Australia's most talented and most prominent, you know, commercial stylists. And, you know, just a big thank you to Jono for sharing so much that can help us all and anyone listening to this podcast today we definitely will link Jono's and Carrie ann Jones podcast House of Style it is if you have liked this podcast in any way or even if you don't like it but some of the information is interesting theirs is the podcast you need to go to next it is amazing I never miss an episode it is the only interior design podcast I'm actually subscribed to cannot recommend it enough So thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I am super grateful. See you next episode. before you go a huge thank you to our podcast producer Amelia Navasquez and Lisa McKernan who helped put this together for us and of course to you for listening thank you so much